there's more than one way to get to that place where you're going to have your money working for you. While the actions of these large investment firms can pose some challenges, um, they can also highlight the importance of you know, you being more engaged in the community. Obviously, what I advocate all the time, financial literacy, paying yourself first and being adaptable to, you know, what's always going to be changing is the landscape of the U.S. real estate market and wherever it is that you might be investing money in real estate. Real estate is still a good investment. Are you ready to turbocharge your financial IQ? Hey, friends, my name is Murray Miller, and I want to welcome you and your family to the Family Business Podcast, where every episode is designed to keep you focused and on track to live a life free of financial stress, worry, and fear. Would you like to know the exact powerful money strategies that not only our immediate family has implemented, but also our extended family of thousands and thousands of people around the world? Well, then let's get on with it and let's begin building a financial wall around your family. everybody welcome back how are you how was your labor day i'm hoping you had an amazing labor day weekend and hopefully you spent time with your loved ones friends family and all that good stuff and it's exciting to be into september and looking forward to an amazing fall and uh, you know closing in on the end of 2023 if you can believe i even just said that but it's actually true here we are in september and it is exciting So with that being said, I have uh, turned my eyes for just a moment to look at what is taking place in the great United States of America with our incredible real estate market. You know, it's funny, real estate has always been, uh, as long as I've been on this planet, a place where we can turn to to uh, eventually build our wealth and uh, you know create equity and eventually someday be in a position that we've had enormous growth on an average of maybe five or six or seven percent a year and with all that equity after paying down our mortgages and uh, you know reducing our expenses we have something that has got a lot of value to it that can uh, actually take us into retirement and beyond and be used for other means and along the way We've learned, you know, from this podcast and from a lot of other things, I'm sure, um, that you can use real estate in many other ways to help build wealth and guide you on your financial future. But today I'm going to talk about a different spin that I'm seeing taking place, and it has to do with large corporations that are getting involved in the real estate market here in the United States, companies like BlackRock, which is one of the largest financial institutions uh, and holding companies in the world, not just in the United States, and other companies like Invitation Homes and American Homes for Rent and J.P. Morgan and a handful of four or five other firms that are really making a play in the single-family home market and how that is making an impact. Now, as I mentioned, BlackRock is one of the world's largest asset management companies. And in recent years, there's been some attention put on firms like BlackRock because of their investments in single-family homes, among other real estate ventures. And I think the concerns are primarily in three main areas. First of all, it's the driving up of prices. So large investment firms that are equipped with massive capital, they can enter into a local housing market, they can purchase homes in bulk, which in itself can really shift a real estate market. 
But more concerning than that is they can come in and pay more money than the asking price, which is going to, in the long run, make it very difficult for an individual home buyer to compete. So put yourself in the seller's shoes for just a minute. You're selling your house. Um, you know, you hire a real estate agent. You're showing your house. People are coming in. Maybe no one's biting or they're, they're offering you less than maybe what you're asking for. And then a large corporation comes in. And they say, not only are we going to pay you your asking price, we're going to pay you 10% more than your asking price. And on top of the 10% more, you don't have to worry about financing. We're going to have, we're going to pay cash for it. You as the seller might be very enticed by that. You're looking to sell, you're looking to leave for whatever reasons you're, you're selling that particular house. And that's a very attractive offer. So if you can imagine, if they come in and pay at least what you're asking or more, and they do it fast, and then they turn around, and rather than a new family moving in, you've got a team of people that come and get that house ready to rent, whether it needs renovations or needs updates or you know they furnish it, and then all of a sudden you have a house for rent in a neighborhood that was primarily owner-occupied. Now, if I'm an owner and I see renters moving in, I'm like, hmm, okay, that's not normal for our neighborhood to have a house being rented, but that's, I mean, it's not against any rules, so I guess it's okay. And maybe someone doesn't like it and says, you know what, this neighborhood is not what it used to be. I think I want to sell too. And it might kick off, um, you know, a bunch of people selling their homes that weren't necessarily in the market to sell their homes. And maybe that makes an impact on property values. I think that's one particular instance but I think another thing that can happen is you're going to see the just the ecosystem of that neighborhood that locality changing the dynamics will change over a period of time and if this person can get so much money over the their asking price maybe we can so after these firms purchase these homes they may turn them into rentals which shifts the local real estate ecosystem as I said and the fear is that it transformed what was historically owner-occupied community into a renter-occupied community. And that can have a generational impact, and especially impact millennials, Gen Z, and Gen Y. And why? Because they haven't bought their homes yet. They're not in that same category as their previous generation, the baby boomers. They're in the age range where many of them are first-time homebuyers, and these generations already face challenges like student loan debt and rising living costs and being priced out of the housing market can make an amazing impact on their wealth accumulation, and it makes it even more challenging for them. So I want to, as always, focus on the positive side of some of these dilemmas that people are facing and how we can combat them, and I think that... Here's a few things that I thought of Ed, that may, in fact, make an impact for this generation of people that are trying to accumulate wealth, similar to many of the baby boomers in their previous generation, their parents and grandparents. First and foremost, I always say, you know, be, be financially prepared. So as an individual, it's up to you to ensure that you're financially prepared when you're entering into the housing market. I talked to my daughter Chelsea about this. I talked to Justin about it. This includes having a really solid credit score um, and get pre-approval on mortgages when you start into the housing market. And also to have an adequate down payment so that your monthly payments aren't gonna crush you. Because remember, when you have a mortgage, your mortgage is the minimum amount you're gonna pay every month. Whereas when you're renting, it's the maximum amount you're gonna pay every month. And what I mean by that, with a mortgage, you own the house 
anything that happens or breaks or needs repairs, you're going to pay out of pocket for that. You're going to also have to buy homeowner's insurance. You're going to also have to buy uh, flood insurance in some particular cases. Anything that is needed in terms of maintenance or upgrades, that's going to be on you. Whereas if you're a renter, you're just paying your rent and the landlord is supposed to take care of all those other things that I just mentioned. So you have to be financially prepared when you get into a home ownership situation, whether you're planning on living there or if you're planning on being a landlord, which I know that a lot of millennials and Gen Z and Gen Ys are considering is, yes, I want to invest in real estate, but I don't necessarily want to live there. I want to rent it or I want to buy a duplex or a triplex and rent out the other unit or two. That's all good, but you have to be financially prepared that the burden of fixing things, repairing things is going to be on you and covering the insurance and all those other things different from being a renter. Another thing that I think is important is while popular areas might have heavily targeted um, large corporations coming in and buying up houses and paying more money for them than they're actually worth or the, what the market is calling for, there are still emerging markets that are less popular neighborhoods where property prices are much more reasonable. And I think being open to these areas can provide more opportunities. Also, I think just staying educated, you know, understanding the lo local housing trends, uh, attending community meetings, if that's where you plan on living, maybe joining a local housing group on social media, and just regularly checking real estate listings. And, you know, maybe you have a real estate friend or someone that you can work with just to stay informed. I mean, that will help you spot opportunities and challenges uh, in real time. And I will tell you, my mind has shifted a lot, you know, as a baby boomer and someone that always believed in owning my own home and that you were wasting money if you were renting. I've changed my way of thinking. And I know home ownership is often seen as the primary path to wealth accumulation by a lot of people, but it's not necessarily the only way. If the housing market is too challenging for where you want to live, consider renting long term. Like I said, rent is the most you'll pay, mortgage is the minimum you'll pay. And if you end up renting and you're going to be there for a while, invest your money instead of putting it into housing, put it into the stock market, put it into cryptocurrencies, put it into mutual funds, put it into ETFs, put it into cash value life insurance, put it in places where it can grow and compound and you have accessibility to it so that if housing is something that's important to you to own real estate down the road you have investments that you can tap into that have already been generating compounding interest and you have seen your money growing there's more than one way to get to that place where you're going to have your money working for you while the actions of these large investment firms can pose some challenges um, they can also highlight the importance of you know you being more engaged in the community Obviously, what I advocate all the time, financial literacy, paying yourself first and being adaptable to, you know, what's always going to be changing is the landscape of the U.S. real estate market and wherever it is that you might be investing money in real estate. Real estate is still a good investment, and I don't want you to feel like I'm advocating against buying real estate. I'm just saying be prepared and understand what market you're in and don't wait and wait and wait just for that one perfect piece of real estate while you're renting or you know have a roommate or whatever it is that you're doing right now and you're not investing in your future in other areas that you could be already started with. Which as I mentioned includes you know stock market investment so you can be investing in individual stocks as well as either individually or through exchange traded funds, you know, ETFs, 
you can provide um, yourself opportunities for capital growth over time. And I think millennials especially can take advantage of online trading platforms because many times they have lower capital requirements than if you went into a more traditional um, stock brokerage where you're dealing with individuals. You can just use these robo-advisors that have been created, and you can do a really good job. And I've got three or four platforms that I use myself personally, and they've done very well over the period of time that I've been using them, which has been uh, you know about three years now, right through the pandemic and into now. So um, that's something that I'm, I'm very much an advocate for. Of course, you know, your retirement accounts, if you have the opportunity to invest in a 401k with your company, or if you don't, and you, you can do your own individual IRA, I think these things make sense, that you're putting a small percentage of your paycheck every single time you get paid into this account, paying yourself first. There's other uh, opportunities like peer-to-peer lending and dividend stocks and, of course, online businesses, which my son Justin is completely into, and that's a whole other episode. But, you know, as long as you're staying educated and you're developing your skills, you can do a lot of investing without a huge amount of risk and without it even feeling like you're, you know, challenging your uh, your spending and your living expenses that you need to just enjoy your life and live every day. And while you're doing this, you know, you're saving, you're um, hopefully you've already put together an emergency fund. And if you haven't, that's always one of the first things that I have all of my clients and uh, people that I coach it's one of the very first things we do is have an emergency fund because most people have nothing and God forbid something happens and they're financially in need. They have to have this emergency fund to keep afloat while they're getting back on their feet. Remember, each strategy comes with risks and rewards and it's important, especially like I said, from millennials and Gen Z and Gen Ys to do your own research, assess your risks and know what your tolerance is for risk. Consider, you know, seeking financial advice. If you don't have someone that you can talk to, like I said, you can always reach out to me, send me a text or an email, and uh, we can have a quick chat. I can tell you some of the things that I think make sense for you based on your circumstances. And as always, you know, when people call me, I don't charge a fee. I'm usually looking for a way that I can help someone. And if something makes sense that I can help you with, obviously, I'll point that out to you. But for the most part, I'm just trying to get you on track on where you need to be. And as always, feel free to head over to thefamilybusiness.info where you can download our eight sources of residual income ebook. You can attend our on-demand masterclass. There's a host of uh, free things that you can do over there that will help you get on track and stay on track for the future. So as always, guys, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you passing on this information to your friends and your family and sharing the podcast with them. That's how we grow and that's how we help more people. So with that being said, until the next time, I will see you guys on the other side. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Family Business Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about how you can join our growing family and begin implementing the success principles to building a financial wall around your family, you can go to thefamilybusiness.info forward slash call and you can schedule a call with us because we have saved a spot at the table for you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and the people that you care about. And we would love it if you would take a second to give us a five-star review to help future family members just like you find us. I leave you with this. In life, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you believe, plan, and expect. Let's do this.